What's up, Bruin Bible listeners? This is your host, Will Decker. I uh, wanted to reach out and say thank you guys for all the listens, all the love. We see it on social media. We see it on YouTube. It has been sensational. And we want to encourage you guys, if you guys are enjoying the podcast and liking it, that you guys subscribe and like it, uh, whether it's on YouTube, on our UCLA LAFB channel, or the Bruin Bible, uh, to subscribe either through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you guys listen and react to it because it's going to allow us to do much greater things in the future. We're creators. We want to be giving the best Bruins content to all of our UCLA listeners. The only way we can do that is if we have a fan base that is locked in and helping us out. So we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. If you guys have been liking it, please help us out with a like and subscribe. What is up, LA? UCLA off of a massive, massive victory this past weekend. A 28-16 to 16 victory over Coach Prime, who came into the Rose Bowl. A lot of fun. The first half was not so fun, but UCLA righted the ship. Madman, we're feeling great on this Tuesday evening, or Monday evening, excuse me, talking about what's going on here. Talk to me. Our head's at after a big-time victory for UCLA over Colorado. Still a chance to pack 12 title. Still a chance for all of our goals at the end of the line to come true for Bruin fans. Will, I think it's a it's a day of rejoicing. This is a, a really terrific day. Obviously, there were moments there that weren't uh, as pretty as, as others. It wasn't ex- exactly a Picasso or a Michelangelo on Saturday night. But the bottom line is this team now moves to 6-2 and two with everything to play for. And you just look at the convergence of factors here, Will. 71, over 71,000 at the Rose Bowl. That was the highest attended game, not just for UCLA this year, but in the entire Pac-12 conference. So for all the conversation around attendance the last couple of years, and are people going to come out and make the trip out to Pasadena? Is there really deep passion at scale for the Bruins of UCLA? That answer has been a resounding yes with such an iconic atmosphere. Um, It was so great to have Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit do the game, and Kirk Herbstreit talking about how much he loves UCLA growing up. And then when you factor in the beautiful uniforms that everyone has been sort of agreeing upon are just so gorgeous, Uh, both UCLA fans as well as, you know, fans across town have even agreed that these are uniforms that UCLA should be wearing for all home games moving forward. And then when you look at what else happened, Will, this week in the the Pac-12, Oregon State losing to Arizona, you see Utah getting a second loss. So the log jam is already beginning as we had predicted. All the Bruins need to continue to do is bring that hard hat, bring that elite defense, bring that game management offense, and those running backs take care of business, put one step in front of the other, and this is going to be a very historic season in this program's history, and everyone that is a Bruin faithful should be very proud about what happened Saturday night, but also very excited about what's to come because this team is nasty and they're just built differently from previous UCLA teams. And that difference is going to show later in this season with that resilience. 
Yeah, I'm excited to get into it, man. The defense was outstanding. Ethan Garver is kind of really finding his footing in the second half. The steel hardened, you know, 1A, 1B. Where do we want to go with that moving forward in the run game? So, uh, you know, Chip's post game, I think, is going to be a fun thing to talk about. But before we get into all of that, we got to go with our sponsor, uh, Underdog Fantasy, new sponsor of LAFB. Going to be a lot of fun, Madman. A lot of great things going on with Underdog Fantasy. You guys can do daily sports picks with them. Uh, it's, been, it's been something that I've really looked into as it's legal within California to get my bets off and what I want to do. Underdog Fantasy, make sure you guys use promo code UCLA LAFB. It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you sign up with the link that's going to be linked into our podcast and our YouTube ads. They match you guys up to about $500 on the advertisement if you guys use our code UCLA-LAFB. So make sure you check in with them on that. Madman, let's start with the defense, man. And these are all, per Ben Bolch's article, it was a special Saturday evening that UCLA put together defensively. Seven sacks, 10 tackles for a loss. Four for 14, they held Colorado on third downs. You could feel it immediately. You know, Colorado had two very strong situations of punching in for six to start the game. The defense kept UCLA in this game in the first half. Four turnovers for the UCLA offense was not pretty. But those first two trips to the red zone for Colorado, stifling them to field goals, I cannot underscore how important that was to UCLA moving forward, keeping the momentum with UCLA Bruins. Let's take a look at some of the stats, too. 4.27 yards per play. That is the lowest since 1988. 15 points per game. Right now, it's the best figure since 1980. And they are leading the nation in fewest yards per carry at 2.1. That is the lowest since 1985. That is all per Ben Bolch's article. Madman, I'm going to give you the floor here. This defense is something special. We haven't seen the likes of this defense likely in over 40 years. Talk to me about this D because it is going and humming on all cylinders for UCLA fans. Well, I mean, it's the anchor of this team. I, I can't believe it sometimes when we have these conversations, Will. Sometimes I feel like I'm dreaming. I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and realize this was all, yeah, I was in the Matrix. I was in Inception. This was all an alternate reality because we are talking about a UCLA team, a Chip Kelly-led UCLA team, and all we can do is just gush over this defense. Look at where this team was, Will, a couple of years ago. We were we have gone from a triple-digit ranked defense consistently where the goals coming into this season were, oh, if they can only just be top 65, top 60, top 70, when you couple it with that offense, magic can possibly happen. And here we are talking about a team that is a perennial top 10 defense when it's all said and done, could be in a year where you still have Alabama and you still have Georgia and you still have Ohio State and you still have Michigan, a year where they could be the best defense in America. It's un incredible to think about. But yet again, they absolutely dominated this game. Seven sacks as a team. The Murphy Twins, Latu, 10 yeah. tackles for loss. They absolutely suffocated Shador Sanders. I, I give Shador Sanders a lot of credit, Will, for just surviving that game. I mean, the fact that he was able to just finish that game was absolutely remarkable. Every time he dropped back, the pocket just absolutely collapsed on him within 1.2 to 1.5 seconds. It was really remarkable to see. And you said it best, Will, in terms of those first two drives, to keep it a one-score game, it was 6 nothing. You knew this offense was eventually going to find itself and just get out of its own way. But it's very different, especially when you are a run-first team, when you have a quarterback that is really in more game management mode, when you're only down one possession, 
you still can do everything you want from a playbook standpoint and the nerves and the calm is all there. If that would have been a 10 nothing game or possibly a 14 nothing game, then you could have possibly seen Garbers press a little bit more or the running backs try and do too much and open themselves up to some negative plays or even more turnovers moving forward. So this defense will, they just move the line of scrimmage. It just doesn't seem to matter. And that's what is so incredible about this unit. You start a drive on their own red zone. You start a drive anywhere on the field. It doesn't matter if the offense has punted six times in a row or they haven't scored nine times in a row. Just nothing makes this group flinch. They just go out there, play after play, and they treat every moment as an independent event and come out with the aggression and come out with the tenacity. Can't say enough about it, Will. You said it best with the statistics and what the historical reference is. This is the best defense in the Pac-12. And I don't think there's a single team, whether you're talking about Oregon or Washington or USC or any other perennial offensive power in this conference wants to see this group uh, and have to play with them and have to match up with them. UCLA, with that defense, is putting themselves in a position to win every game from here on out. And if they do that, you're talking about a massive bowl appearance. You're talking about some serious hardware coming to this group. And it's all thanks to this defense. And DeAnton Lynn will, I think, is the front runner for National Assistant Coach of the Year. I mean, I just don't see a world where DeAnton Lynn is not at least a finalist. And I don't see a world where he doesn't win. What he has been able to do with this unit is absolutely spectacular. They... they they disguise their scheme so well. They disguise pressure so well. And they're able to attack the ball in a number of different ways. This is an NFL-style scheme that is just imposing its will and just ferocity in a college game. Yeah, it's been so impressive. And we've talked about Shadur Sanders and his numbers coming into this game. Second in the nation in passing yards per game coming into that game. And third in the nation in touchdown passes. He finished about 130 less passing yards than he normally does he was hit 17 times he was knocked down 13 times Dion actually came out to the press and said we had to inject him you know just to get him back out there on the field absolutely I mean stuff because he was getting hit so hard out on the field and DeAnton Lynn has been sensational I, I have been such a fan of what he's brought to the table for UCLA kind of that NFL style uh, you know scheme the younger kind of coach approach that he brings out there on the football field but I also want to say Ken Norton Jr. is a huge part of this too, man. Ken no question. Jr., you know, that front seven, how the linebackers are moving, how they're kind of blitzing. He's been an NFL defensive coordinator. He's been a defensive coordinator at USC. Some of those strong defenses there. I kind of want to ask you, in your opinion, this is DeAnton Lynn's first time as a defensive coordinator. I know it helps him having a guy, a veteran, a guy of established creed and presence as Ken Norton Jr. does. How much percentage are you willing to give credit to DeAnton and how much percentage credit are you willing to give to our guy Ken Norton Jr.? Because I think it balances out a little closer than people may think. Oh, Will, I think it's I think it's 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 at least 60-40, if not 50-50. I think that Ken Norton Jr. deserves so much credit for what's happened this year. And I know what people will say. Well, he was here in years past, and DeAnton was, and DeAnton's here now, and just overnight the defense has turned around. Yes, but you gotta understand. DeAnton is bringing a fresh perspective, a fresh set of eyes, a unique kind of tactical and strategic skill set. But these are all Ken Norton Jr.'s players. Who recruited Laatu Latu to come to UCLA? Who recruited the Murphy Twins? Who recruited Carl Jones? Who recruited 
the vast majority of that front seven. That was all Ken Norton Jr. And I think that they connect with one another in a very unique way here, Will. I think they're both very high-energy guys. They're very high-integrity guys. And they're guys that just have a passion for the game and they want to win and they want to keep proving themselves. And they're both the sons of very decorated individuals in sports. I mean, we, Anthony Lynn was a, is, is, will continue to be a very successful coach. Opportunities continuing for him in the NFL. And then Ken Norton Jr., everyone forgets, he's got the three Super Bowl rings. He's got, you know, the, the lineage with the Seahawks. He's got the lineage with those great USC teams. His dad was heavyweight champion of the world. His dad yeah. beat Muhammad Ali in, in a fight. I mean, there may not be a greater achievement in the history of sports, Will, than to, to be able to beat Muhammad Ali in a fight. And Ken Norton Jr.'s dad has been able to do that. So they understand each other on a very deep level. And I think Ken Norton Jr.'s gift has also been in identifying talent, but also being able to use all of the different skill sets at the disposal. When you think about Latu being this supreme pass rusher and then also improving year over year from being more of a straight line rusher last year to having more horizontal agility. Then you think about a Darius Moasau, your prototypical rangy linebacker. Will, you made such a terrific comparison to him and Manti Teo. That just keeps ringing more and more true every week. But your prototypical rangy linebacker that's going to get a dozen, 15 tackles in a big game and be sideline to sideline. Then you look at an Oladijo, who's just this physical freak who can almost even drop back in coverage. He can rush the quarterback. He can go attack a running back. He can cover a tight end. And the fact that Ken Norton Jr. is able to put each of these guys in the right position to succeed even though they have such varying different skill sets, is a testament not only to how he identifies talent, how he's able to sell that talent and bring them to UCLA, but then how he is able to place those guys on the field in the best possible position to succeed. So obviously, DeAnton Lynn is the darling of UCLA right now, but this is not possible without Ken Norton Jr., and we are so grateful to have him, not just as a linebacker coach, but really as the face of UCLA recruiting moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, all credit to DeAnton Lynn. I think what he's doing is special, but I just, it just doesn't feel right to not include Ken Norton. Jr. No question. And the stat for me that really stood out for UCLA, they have the 16th lowest conversion rates on third downs in the country right now at 31%. That is the money down, man. That is how you get the offense off the field. You get the punting unit on. That is where it's at for UCLA. And they're delivering on those big downs defensively. So I love what I'm seeing from them. Let's move to the offensive side of the football, Matt, man. Ethan Garbers, rough start. I think we can all admit that. Four turnovers in the first half. To his credit, it was only one interception from him. Specifically, Schley had the other pick. Carson sealed those two crucial fumbles at the end of the first half for UCLA. But boy, did he turn it up in the second half. And where you kind of saw him take the car keys of the offense was the first drive of that second half. Two plays, 75 yards. A big completion over the middle to Logan Loya for that 49 yards. And then he went to Mataval for a 26-yard touchdown right after that. Talk to me about Garbers. It's hard to kind of dig yourself out of those holes sometimes when you're struggling. You know, the first four or five drives really did not go his way. But he finished with 269 yards, two touchdowns, 20 of 27 through the air. That is exactly the kind of stat lines we need from these quarterbacks moving forward for UCLA. As a game manager, not somebody that's going to run the offense you know, entirely through him, but a guy that can make plays when his number's called. And that's what Garbers did. Absolutely, Will. And I think that it was a tale of two halves for Garbers. You, you talk about the early interception and obviously holding Colorado to the field goal. 
But think about how UCLA ended the half, the first half. I mean, it was fumble, interception, missed field goal, fumble. I mean, that those were the last four drives at the end of the first half. You sort of walked in up 7-6, knowing that Colorado really hadn't done anything offensively outside of those first two drives, outside of an early play, and then obviously the turnover. But UCLA really had an opportunity to, to stretch the lead, extend the lead. And they were getting some vibes, Will, a little bit about that Arizona game last year. You know, if you recall, DTR fumbled at the end of the first half, and that kind of changed the the dynamics of how you felt about that game after halftime. And there was kind of a similar eerie feeling at halftime of this particular game of did UCLA kind of let an opportunity slip away from really getting uh, separation from Colorado. And Garbers came right back. I just love that he was able to reset, Will. And I think we've talked so much about how is he going to respond to adversity? We saw it in that Coastal Carolina game. His confidence really dipped after the interception. We've talked about it at length. He had an opportunity to go back into the locker room, reset, come back out. And what I love about Garbers is he didn't try to be anybody he wasn't in the second half. Oftentimes, when you've got a quarterback who's maybe stressed, who's overwhelmed, who's feeling the pressure... They're going to go and step beyond themselves, and that's going to create more negative plays and more turnovers. Garbers just went back to the basics. He is a great quarterback when it comes to sort of reading those seam routes up the middle and finding his security blanket in Logan Loya, and he did exactly that. He found his favorite target on the first throw. Loya did an outstanding job. That was a terrific kind of subtle wheel route off of that stack. Chip called an absolutely phenomenal play. And then it was quick tempo, and you found Matavao uh, up the middle down that seam route. It was a very simple throw, and that made it 14-6. This offense could then exhale, and then it was off to the race as they go. And I think, Will, what I really like is he's got such an identity. I mean, he was 20 for 28 against Stanford for 8.6 yards per attempt. He's 20 for 27 against Colorado at just under 10 yards per attempt. This is a guy that is going to be looking for the short to intermediate passes. And he's looking for his big receivers. Logan Loya obviously had a phenomenal game with seven catches, 111 yards, and that absolutely incredible one-handed catch where he toe-tapped the wrong foot, was able to hold it in his right hand. But then, Will, the, the next six receivers, okay, the next six receivers, leading receivers on this team, were all tight ends or running backs. You know, if you consider Kyle Ford a tight end, the next six leading receivers after Loya were tight ends or backs. So, Garbers has very clearly established what he wants to do. And that is he's looking for those check downs. He's looking for those intermediate routes and he's looking for his slot receiver and lawyer. And he is surveying the field, wanting to get the ball out quickly and needing to sort of protect the ball. And so I think this is now the identity of this team, a top notch defense, a game managing quarterback, and obviously kind of that run first emphasis and allow Garbers to play off of that. So much criticism, Will, earlier in this year with Chip about the run-throw distribution, if you recall. And we had a conversation about it. This was absolutely phenomenal. 45 runs, Will, to 28 throws. So this was exactly the breakdown that you want if you're UCLA. This is the recipe for success. And again, much like Washington State, it was the turnovers that kept Washington State in that game longer than needed to be. That was the case with Colorado. But ultimately... The moment UCLA cleaned it up, they were able to create separation. 
Yeah, and I mean, 10 different receivers with catches this week. I mean, he's peppering the ball around all the right places. You got to love that for UCLA. Garbers getting a little bit of everyone involved. I was going to wait to save this for later. But talk to me about the emergence of Logan Loya. It seems like something that's really kind of fine-tuned its way into this year. Logan Loya has made big catches over the middle, big catches in traffic. We saw the 49-yard catch we referenced earlier. Seven catches, 111 yards. I mean, this were career highs for Logan Loya. Talk to me about the emergence of the slot receiver that UCLA has been waiting on for a couple of years now, but it's finally at our fingertips. Well, well, you know, he's 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 a slow burn. You know, it's like a fine wine. It, it's taken a while with Loya. You and I talked about him year one on the podcast. Well, if you recall, obviously yeah. after you know the the lineage with Oregon and and you know being such a such a decorated recruit at that particular time. Here he is in his in his final year here at UCLA and making such a big impact. Really grabbing that torch from Kyle Phillips as the primary slot receiver, and I think will. He's done a phenomenal job of sticking with the program and continually improving year over year. And I also think it's a product of who this team is offensively. You know, when you look at the offensive line concerns, especially in pass coverage, you got to get that ball out quickly. And when you can get that ball out quickly, who are you going to look to? You're going to look to your backs. You're going to look to your tight end. And on the outside, you're going to look to your slot guy. And so Loya is that perfect weapon on the outside given what the offensive line situation is. And then when you look at the quarterback, you got a young freshman who started part of the season who was going to make mistakes, who's going to be sort of locking in on certain guys that he really likes. Moore had a great rapport with Loya. And now when you look at Garbers and his style of play, it's also very conducive to Loya. How terrific is this, Will? His first career 100-yard receiving game. And it comes against Colorado in, in one of the biggest games crowd-wise that, that UCLA has played in a very long time. So couldn't be happier for Loya. I think he's going to continue to play a huge role on this team. Now the question becomes, in certain games where they're going to need a bigger play, can you find a way to get JMS going at some point? You know, it, it's sort of remarkable to think about this, Will. He had one catch for no yards. It was really the first reception of the game early in that game is, is JMS kind of caught it out of the flat. It was a bit of a bubble screen and then nothing else after that. So the fact that they got no yards from JMS makes that lawyer performance even greater. And just that one handed catch will off of the wrong toe tap. I mean, that was one of the great catches in yeah. UCLA football history. I don't think that's hyperbole to say in any way, shape or form. And he will continue to be that primary weapon on the outside, given what UCLA wants to do offensively. And I just love, Will, the identity of this team. They just know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they need to do. It's sort of that age-old uh, adage of, of Bill Belichick, just do your job. It feels like everyone just knows their job and what they need to do. And as long as UCLA can play relatively mistake-free football, this team is going to be a handful for anybody. Yeah, and we still have some, you know, epic games on the schedule. University of Arizona next weekend in Tucson. A bear of an opponent. I don't want to overlook this one. We lost them last year. They just upset Oregon State, who beat us two weeks ago. This is going to be a big, big game, so let's tune in for that. We've talked about the receiving room. I think we got to have the conversation about Steele and Harden. Steele was running the ball very effectively. 11 carries, 75 yards. It's a 6.8-yard average. That's very, very solid. But, man, those two fumbles lost. While we were just holding on to that one-point advantage in the first half, we were deep into the territory of Colorado. One was on the six-yard line of Colorado. One was, like, right on the cusp of field goal range. 
Those are big, big fumbles. Chip didn't sound too panicked about it in the postgame presser. He loves Carson. He thought they were big hits on him. Is this something to be concerned about in, in terms of moving forward? Because TJ Harden had more carries, 78 yards and a touchdown. But just every time this guy touches the ball, it feels like a big play is about to happen. We saw that with that one catch, 25 yard, where he hurdled the guy, made moves in the open field. He had a touchdown run in the second half. TJ Harden has been my guy this year. Carson Steele has kind of crept into that role. But what do you see for the running back room moving forward for the Bruins? Well, I think it was a little bit of an anomaly with Steele. I think we, we sort of forget to realize that look at this guy's workload the previous three games. And, yeah. you know, it was it was 20-plus carries the last three games. He was well on his way to another 20-carry game if he didn't fumble. And it's not like he's running these jet sweeps, Will. Or it's not like he's sort of bouncing it to the outside and waiting to run out of bounds. I mean, this is inside running. I mean, it was over the last three games, even prior to the Colorado game, you're talking about 80-plus carries of inside running the ball where the first guy, you're just sort of running over, two, three other guys pile on. Even though he's built like Superman, there's no question about it. You know, you are human at the end of the day, and there's only so much pounding you can take. I think, if anything, this is a great lesson for Chip moving forward to say, listen, I know he's my workhorse, but I got to be able to find some spots earlier in games where I can give Harden and others a run or two just to make sure that he also stays fresh and stays ready to go going into that second half. So I don't, I'm not as concerned about it. Will, those were some pretty big hits. One was a little bit random. He wasn't kind of quite expecting it. The other one was, was a bigger hit. You know, it's just sort of the wear and tear. I think of the last three games, I think Steele's going to sort of emphasize it even more now moving forward, protect even more. And, and I think moving forward, I think this is going to be a really good situation. I love Harden's game. But again, Will, you saw Harden's the big home run guy. You can tell even Harden at this stage kind of needs Steele to sort of wear down that defense so the holes open up. Because what's also telling, same defense, same play, same situation. Steele over 11 carries, 6.8 yards per carry. Harden over 20 carries, 3.9 yards per carry. So you're talking about three yards per carry less for Harden. You know, that battering ram in steel plays a huge role wearing out that defense for then the beautiful nimble feet and the cutting ability of Harden to really take over. But I think you you sort of I, I don't get any spooked by any way, shape or form with Steele's two fumbles. I think this is going to be a positive in the long run because he's going to focus on on ball protection even more. Yeah, the run game looks to be in a great place with Harden Steele. And, I mean, say what you want about the Schle of the Schlee pass this past weekend. The run game was great. I love him as that red zone kind of threat where he can sure. run it to the outside. Four carries, 26 yards. Had the touchdown with the golf swing celebration. I loved it from our How guys. How nice was that move, though, Will? You know, yeah. where it was that zone read, and he sort of faked it out, came back in. It was just, you know, just really shifty. It's always very impressive, Will, to me, when guys can make moves laterally without losing speed or breaking a step. And it just felt like that was so fluid where he was able to go outside in without losing a step in any way, shape, or form. Schley's a phenomenal athlete, definitely the best runner out of the three. And again, I think we're really solidified in a place here where Garbers is the quarterback of this team moving forward, and Schley is going to have his packages. And occasionally, you want him to throw the ball. But I, I think we're at the point where I'd love to see Schley just do like a jump pass like Tebow. I don't want him making any reads at this point, you know, because he's kind of a one-read guy as it is right now. So I think having him as as the, the package in the red zone short yardage, I think his athleticism will really shine. 
Yeah, man. And don't sleep on Garbers with the wheels, too. Nine carries, 37 yards. He's been very deceptive yes. against Stanford and both Colorado in these last two games. 37 yards on the ground for Garbers. Last question I got for you before we're going to go into our next podcast this next week. Uh, against University of Arizona, going to be a big redemption game for UCLA. Talk to me about the post game from Chip. It, he got teary-eyed. We've seen a different emotional side to him this year. Got teary-eyed at Media Day talking about the late, great Bill McGovern. Got teary-eyed talking about Terry Donahue, whose statue was unveiled this week. And I think it was very endearing for a lot of Bruins fans to hear him. He's very, you know, can be standoffish with the media. Not media savvy, media friendly, if you will. But that, you know, kind of emotion being shown for somebody that's in the Bruins' hearts, in the Bruins' families, that really left an indelling mark on not only you, but a lot of the UCLA fan base. Talk to me about what that meant to you guys. Well, it, it meant so much because it just showed the depth that Chip Kelly has and the values and the integrity and the human being that he is. I think so much in the world today is a, around social media. It's around sound bites. It's around on-demand entertainment. It's around instant gratification. And so when we see an individual and he's not the loudest and he's not the most charismatic and he's not the best dressed and he doesn't look like he's coming out of a Hollywood movie we automatically make a lot of assumptions that could possibly be negative about him and sort of write him off. I think there's so much depth to Chip Kelly. He's more stoic, obviously, than uh, many fans would like, given kind of the role that he's in. But it just shows how much he loves UCLA. And when he talks about things like books and ball, and when he talks about friendship that, that he had with, with the late, great Bill McGovern, and then when he talked about Terry Donahue being the ultimate gutty little Bruin and understanding the history of, of UCLA and what Terry Donahue meant and the unveiling of the statue and what his former players said. And the fact that he choked up so much, it just showed how much he understood, not what it just means to be a head coach on the field, but what it means in terms of shaping the lives of young men into great leaders, into great individuals in their community, into great fathers, into great husbands, and so on and so forth. And so it just we've seen some dimensions to Chip this year where I'm just so proud that he's the head football coach of this team. And the fact of the matter is UCLA, since the Donahue era, has not yet found that secret sauce of how do you put season after season together? How do you become a perennial top 20 team? Not just a, a team that finished in the top 20 one year, and then you fall back to four, five, six wins the next year, the next couple of years, and then you come back up. But how do you create sustainability long-term? Chip Kelly is that guy. He has found the sauce of how to be sustainable through the transfer portal, through emphasizing books and ball and recruiting, through finding the young uh, coordinators that can complement his skill set. And I always felt that Chip Kelly, even though he got all of his success at Oregon, I don't think Oregon was the ultimate cultural fit for him with all the Nike attention and all the uniforms and all the flash and Phil Knight. Chip Kelly, in his heart of hearts, is a guy from New Hampshire. He wants to fly under the radar. He wants to let his work do the talking. And I truly believe that he's found the perfect university and the perfect institution that emphasizes who he is. And as Bruin Nation, we have to support him. We have to honor him. I want Chip Kelly to be the coach of this team for the next 10 years. And I challenge any of our viewers, any individual that's watching this show, listening to tell me a better coach. People often talk about his first couple of years. The cupboard was so bare with this team talent wise. The first couple of years, he had to rebuild everything from scratch. 
This guy's 23 and 10 in his last 33 games. And we are setting up, Will, for a third consecutive eight-plus win season, which, oh, by the way, is pretty rarefied error in UCLA football. And once we get there, I'll share just exactly how rarefied error that is. Chip Kelly's the right guy for this job as a head coach, as a leader of men, as a teacher, and as a representative of this university. And as someone who is a very proud double Bruin, I couldn't be more proud that he's the head football coach. And in this world of nil and transfer portal and instant gratification and not really having loyalty to any school and having so much transactionalization of players and coaches, you, I mean, think of another school. You think across town, Lincoln Riley would get teary-eyed over John McKay or Pete Carroll, or you think uh, Dan Lanning would get teary-eyed over Chip, or do you think, you know, uh, DeBoer would get teary-eyed over, um, you know, the great Washington coaches of the past? No way. It, it, they're, they're here for the moment. They're here to be them for themselves. Chip is, understands the larger ecosystem. I'm so proud that he is the head football coach. We got to continue to support him, and the best is yet to come. Best is yet to come, Bruin fans. What a victory. What a postgame speech from Chip. He's got us moving in the right direction. I mean, look at this defense. I know it took him a while to get that right and manage that umbrella, but, boy, it's looking as good as it's ever looked for the blue and gold. Madman, great to see you as always. We'll have another preview this week coming from Arizona. Guys, thank you for listening. Hope you guys are having a great start to your week, and we'll see you on the ESPN radio show coming this week.